Hi, this is Olivia Berkman, and this is the Financial Executive Podcast. As more and more businesses evolve into software companies, cybersecurity and resiliency become essential to the strategic plan. But there's a big difference between the two, and executives have to go beyond compliance to fully prepare for the near inevitable cyber breach. We spoke with Paul Nicholas, Senior Director of Global Security Strategy and Diplomacy at Microsoft about how executives should be thinking about security and how the rise in automation will impact cyber resilience efforts for corporate America. So, Paul, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, I want to start out by asking you, you know, how how would you describe cyber resilience versus cyber security? Thanks, Olivia. Um, When I talk to customers, it's really interesting to me. They think that cybersecurity is an exclusive conversation and cyber resilience is an inclusive conversation. And, And what I mean by that is sometimes people opt out of cybersecurity conversations because they feel like they don't have enough of a technical background to be able to contribute or be part of the dialogue, or they just want to move it on to someone who they feel is more technical. And cyber resilience is much more of a of an open conversation, if you will, because people are talking about the outcomes that they need from cyber and they want to be able to participate and leverage those outcomes in different ways. And so I find it's much more of a much more of a broader community that is willing to engage and think about cyber resilience. Hmm. Okay. That makes sense. And and where do you see the biggest holes in corporate America when it comes to cyber resilience? Well, to me, it feels like we're going through sort of a a generational change in this space. You've probably heard uh, about people discussing digital transformation or this concept that essentially every enterprise today is really a, in some way, a software company. You know, there are banks that have as much code as as Microsoft has that they've built themselves or um, uh, transportation companies that, that literally don't think of themselves as a fleet of trucks and planes, but really an IT service uh, that that has outputs in trucks. And it's, it's fascinating how to kind of close that gap between companies that made the digital transformation, but they haven't really thought about the systemic risks they're going to have to think about and how do they build sort of a resilient response to that. In some cases, they still default back to, oh, IT security, am I compliant with, you know, ABC uh, uh, standards or regulatory compliance? And I think the biggest gap in my mind is how do you get from compliance to a much more um, uh, broader assurance that you can operate in any type of circumstance. And that's that's the gap that I think we're trying to close today. And it's a, it's significantly different than I would say the um, sort of business continuity uh, challenges that we thought about sort of in the 80s and 90s. Hmm. So you mentioned systemic risks. Can you give me maybe some examples of what those might be? 
Yeah, you know, um, I uh, had the opportunity to participate in a World Economic Forum uh, report that, that came out last August that looked at trying to understand systemic cyber risks. Um, and it's a really uh, challenging space. I think we kind of all landed on a on a on a definition um, that uh, the International Monetary Fund had come up with for financial services. Um, but it, it, essentially, systemic cyber risk are those things that um, that go beyond your company in some ways. Uh, and it could be a protocol that the entire industry relies on or, you know, common things that support uh, the global economy, either in terms of a, of a service or uh, a piece of software or a protocol that if really exploited or attacked or degraded somehow could suddenly really have a disruptive or destructive impact on people. And I think in certain sectors like finance, people understand systemic risk if they think about it in terms of capital markets. But when you get to something as distributed and as as global as uh, cyber, it it's harder to understand that, harder to measure it, and therefore harder to manage it. Right. Given the recent media coverage regarding governments fighting cyber battles, how or can companies prevent themselves from getting caught in the crossfire? Well, that's a great, great question. We we recently um, came out and began talking about something we've referred to as the Digital Geneva Convention. Uh, and part of that is really based in the sense that, you know, in a time of peace, you could argue largely the world is in a time of peace. We don't have a, a, a global war going on of any sort. We do have regional conflicts, but generally I would say most of the world in a peaceful state. <clears throat> Governments really should exercise a bit of restraint in terms of attacking critical infrastructures like banking or energy or certain un- things that underpin the operation of, of um, the internet in terms of security and stability. And so we actually put forth a proposal for a set of uh, government security norms uh, that look at how governments um, collect vulnerabilities on private sector products or making sure that if they build weapons in cyber, that those weapons can't be reused by uh, criminals or or terrorists to, to create greater damage. Right. Uh, or that governments don't create things that, that um, create mass effect. And in parallel to what we've asked governments to do, we are looking at developing a set of industry norms or a tech accord, if you will, that would actually talk about the things that we should do as an industry, you know, being really clear that if you make a mass market information and communications technology, you can't be in offense. You can only do defense, you know, that you, sure. you can't have an offensive business. And um, 
being really clear that in a no matter what happens, we're going to patch all customers. We're not going to pick winners and losers because two sovereign states are engaged in a conflict um, and those types of things. So I think part of what we're doing is trying to ask governments to restrain themselves from certain activities that could be damaging to the ecosystem. Governments are always going to mess with other governments. That's fine. Mm-hmm. We can't stop that. But please stay out of the the global economic space. And then secondly, there are the things that we need to do as industry. And, you know, a huge part of that is information sharing and collaboration so that we understand the threats and can, can kind of work to repel them. Right. Now, this is another question that will be pretty familiar to listeners. Um, how can the private sector work more closely with governments around cyber resilience without compromising customer data? Yeah, you know, that's been a, a really big concern, particularly post-Snowden. Right. When we've engaged in working um, with governments around the world, we, we've really focused on sort of two core things. One has been um, trying to think about risk management practices. And here you have governments who have one set of risk management practices because they tend to work for, uh, what, how, how would I describe this, sort of um, low probability but high consequence events. Mm-hmm. And the private sector tends to look for uh, high probability uh, events that it could occur that might be uh, of uh, lower consequence. And so we kind of have two different approaches to risk management. And I think when we combine them, we get a shared understanding of how you would operate in certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. But then the other part is really when you get down to dealing with like a particular type of attack or a, a particular piece of malware or a campaign of incidents, the things that need to be shared in that case is really not about customer data. It's about what the industry often calls indicators of compromise. And so that might be an observed set of tactics or techniques that we see being played out in the enterprise that helps other people go back to their enterprise and look at that and say, gosh, have I seen that on my network? Am I experiencing these types of things in, in different uh, in different operations? And so I actually find that in our collaboration, there really isn't customer data. It's about either high-level practices and procedures that you need to kind of build from a cultural perspective, or they're very sort of technical in terms of here are the signatures or here is the type of code or the tactics that you need to look for. Okay. How will the rise of automation in finance and new platforms such as blockchain um, impact cyber resilience efforts for corporate America? Well, I'm really excited about that. I think the emergence of things like machine learning mm-hmm. and artificial intelligence, things like blockchain, I think they really kind of offer new opportunities for resilience that we haven't thought about. Um, in some ways, machine learning uh, and, and AI are going to help us better understand and react to threats uh, at a much faster at a much faster pace uh, than we could as, as humans. Uh, and so I think learning how we leverage that and integrate it into our corporate uh, security and response operations is going to be critically important. Okay. Any downside that you see? Well, 
Well, the downside on that, uh, Olivia, is that uh, while we would be using them for good in in uh, protecting banks and financial services, uh, it will also create innovation for the criminals right. <laughs> who want to attack or exploit that. So we're, you know, we're constantly in this uh, uh, balance of power, if you will, in cyberspace. And so I think the more that uh, the financial services can look over the horizon and think outside the box and kind of break off just the strict compliance regime that they have to deal with for regulators, they can uh, really start to innovate in terms of how they think about uh, security and uh, proactive um, uh, defensive measures. Right. Well, Paul, that's all I have for you. Uh, you know, I want to thank you again for taking the time. It was a pleasure connecting on this. Um, certainly a very important um, and timely topic. Thanks, Olivia. I really, I really enjoyed the opportunity to chat with you about resilience. I, I really think uh, it's our future, particularly as you know we move into a, a, a cloud-centric world. Absolutely. Well, thanks again.